Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Uh, if on your handout the scripture is listed, it probably says 1 Thessalonians. That was my mistake, not, uh, not uh, the Brother Trevon and Miss Ruby preparing the... I had it written wrong on my notes. And so uh, they've corrected it on the screen, uh, but there's no way to correct it on your handout. So make sure you jot that it's 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3 and not 1. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, and we're going to look this morning at the first five verses here together. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who, will, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which, were commanded, which we commanded of you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And I want to speak to you this morning on just the one word title this morning, faithful. Let's pray. Father, again, as we open your word, we ask that you'd open our hearts. Lord, help us to gain clear understanding of what your message is for us here from this text. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to allow you to do it in our lives. In Jesus' name and amen. And so when we look here, faithful is a word that you just, it's not a strange word to church. If you come to church much, uh, you hear the word faithful a lot. And so there's uh, certain words that we just use on a regular basis and we use them to the point that honestly sometimes we're so familiar with them and we pay so little attention to the depth of the meaning of it that we begin to lose the power of the word and the message and the meaning that it has. Faithful is one of those kind of words. Faithful being among the most common words of all Christendom, uh, we use it freely to describe a vast array of things. I mean, we, uh, it's one of those words that you put out there and it means different things to different people. Um, you know, so uh, I would say this morning I could, I could have a conversation with someone and say, uh, you know, this person comes to the Sunday morning service. Uh, and so someone would say, that's a faithful Christian. I would say that that person's faithful to the Sunday morning service. And so uh, there's a difference. There's a distinction. And so, and that's the point that I think it's important that we understand is that we can use common terms, but they don't, we don't necessarily always mean the same thing. You can listen to the political spectrum right now and all of the, all of the nonsense that goes on politically, and you can listen to two sides say the same thing, but mean two completely different things. Uh, you can look at uh, what the education realm puts out and see uh, that one side looks at uh, creation and evolution, look at all the same evidence, they look at all the same everything, and come up with two completely different definitions, and they see two completely different views of reality. And of course, we know that we, the Word of God is true. And it's not a relative truth, it's an absolute truth. It's not changing. It's always the same. And uh, it's not a moving target. It's something that we can have our faith and put our faith and trust in. So when we talk about this word faithful, uh, understand that when you're having that conversation that it's relative to that person's understanding of the term. And so when we have those types of things, it becomes even more important that we remember 
how important it is for us to understand the biblical rather than the cultural definition of the words and the terms that we use and how we apply them to our life. Uh, the cultural meaning is going to change. The biblical meaning never will. Now, the biblical application may look a little different as the culture changes. So that obviously uh, the, 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 the way that we can go about reaching out to people is different now than it was six months ago. I, I mean, I could go and knock on doors. I could go and canvas doors. But the reality is in neighborhoods that are hard hit, it's more counterproductive than it is productive. I mean, it's just people aren't excited about some stranger coming up to their door, uh, as, especially if they've got someone in their house that's high risk to get the disease. And, uh, and so, and I know some folks don't think it's real uh, or it's just all a hoax. I, I think a lot of it's hyped up and overplayed, but I've had it, so I know it's real. And so, uh, you know, I've had to deal with it. I've had to get over it. I'm still getting over it. And so uh, we, we understand, Brother uh, Jerry and Miss Neal, it's good to see them able to be here today. But two of our, our folks that are nervous and work in the hospital here in town, they will tell you it's real. Uh, and so, you know, it's, there's reality out there. But in, in terms of how it applies to us and how we utilize it. So I want to deal this morning with this biblical term, faithful. Now, when we talk about these things, it's important that we understand two concepts. Number one, what did God say? It doesn't matter what the culture says. It matters what does God say. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think. It matters what did God say. And so when I understand that and understand that this is the guide of my life, I don't want the cultural definition. I want the biblical definition. There are a lot of things that and a lot of things that we preach even as uh, that pastors preach that we we preach these terms and these things in context to how it means and what our interpretation it is in our culture today rather than going back and, and really digging into the word of God and finding out what is it that God literally said here so that we can understand and make proper application. So what did God say? The second thing is, I just alluded to, is what does God mean? What God means is what we need to know. What God said and what God intended is what should guide and govern our lives. And so this word faithful here, as you look here, but in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. And it starts with Him. Faithfulness doesn't start with you or me. It starts with Jesus. Faithfulness is not... By the way, doing a lot of things, we could, uh, you know, we could we could meet criteria that would qualify in the mind and the heart of man as faithful. I come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I go and tell others about Christ at a scheduled time on a a given day of the week, and uh, and we participate in this class and maybe teach this class. We do all of these different things, and we read our Bible and we pray every day. May I suggest to you this morning? that from a biblical context, that that does not make one faithful. You can do all of those things, and should, but that doesn't make us faithful. I think that you'll see that as we define the terms here and as we make application, uh, but it's important that we get what God is saying to us here. In this verse, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful is the Greek word pistos, which uh, has a, the simple meaning of sure or true. So when we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about something that's true. We're talking about someone that's sure, dependable. Now, there's two primary words that are really used to describe the definition of this. And the first one is trustworthy. So someone that is faithful is trustworthy. And the Lord is, but the Lord is faithful. 
And so what we see from the beginning here is that God is trustworthy. And the message this morning is that God is trustworthy. And here's where it got really interesting for me as I was studying and preparing this week is this. That it also means trustful. So trustworthy, trustful. God is trustworthy and his trustworthiness inspires us to be trustful of the word and the message that he gives. It doesn't matter how true something is if I don't trust the deliverer. I'll never receive and hear the message. I'll never partake of what he tells me and what he gives me. And so it means to be trustworthy or trustful. It comes from a root word, pietho, which means to persuade. But it doesn't only mean to be persuaded, it also means to be persuaded. So you see, again, a dual application here. To persuade and to be persuaded. And so God is trustworthy and persuades me to put my trust in him if I will allow myself to be persuaded. And so when we think and we, when we stop and we think about that, uh, this morning my question to you is this, are you willing this morning to be persuaded? Because the reality is, is that many people come to church, particularly people that have been churched for a long time, that have been saved and walked with the Lord for a long time, we come and we have such vast knowledge of the Bible and what it says and what its words are, and we've heard countless sermons on faithfulness. Uh, and we, uh, we, hear, we know that we, we're hearing one today, we'll probably hear one again in the next couple of months. So it's just one of those things that kind of keeps coming around, uh, that it's important that we keep that out in front of us uh, so that we're reminded but the reality is is that faithfulness is something that uh, God is looking at and saying hey uh, I want to persuade you and if I'm not careful I can fall into a mold of okay God uh, but I already have heard this before and I already know this and this is what I think and even if I feel convicted in my heart, I have spiritualized or I have rationalized how it's okay for me to be the exemption so I'm really not persuadable. My heart's not, I, I'm open to hear, but I'm not open to change. And when we come and we come before the Lord and we open his word, it's important that we're always willing to be persuaded. Now I'm not asking you this morning to, to, to have a desire to be persuaded by the pastor. Be persuaded by the word of God. Be persuaded by the Holy Spirit of God as he speaks to us as God's word is delivered. Now I have three statements that I want to give that kind of put this together so that we can see what God has done and how God lays out this and how it applies to our life. And then we're going to come back and look uh, at the text and make the main points of the message. First statement is this. The nature and the character of God as we experience him persuade us that his words are true and that we can trust him to be and can trust him to do all that he has revealed. As I experience God, I experience his truth, his trustworthiness. And the more that I experience that, the more I'm able to come to a place in my life where I'm saying, Lord, I'm willing to believe you. I'm willing to hear you. Second statement is this. Faithfulness also allows us to be persuaded. As we experience the trustworthiness of God, we become trustful of him, allowing us as our trust grows to yield our will to his. See, the problem with most Christians is not that we have a lack of knowledge. It's that we have a lack of willingness to yield our will to the will of God. 
We have a lack of willingness to yield our, the reins to our life to the Holy Spirit that indwells us. See, he tells them here in verse 3, The Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. He wants to keep us from evil. He wants to protect us from making bad decisions. He wants to uh, guide us and help us navigate our way through problems and through the culture and through all of the things that life throws at us so that we can be a witness for him and we can glorify him and God can work in our lives. But if I'm not willing to yield myself to him, then he can't do any of those things and I'll never yield my will to anyone that I don't trust. Now I can go through the motions, but I can never actually be yielded. When I was in the military, there were a lot of times when an order was given and I followed it to the letter because I had to, not because I really believed or trusted in the man that gave it to me. The difference is, is that when God gives us something, we follow because we trust him. Because even if we don't understand, we believe that God is doing this for a reason that is going to reap eternal impact. And so uh, the third statement that I would share is this. God's, as God's faithfulness inspires a believer to, to faithfulness, the faithfulness of that believer inspires another to believe. So in other words, here's the gospel. It's presented here is God demonstrating his love toward us. And here is God sharing with us and working in our heart, inspiring us to be drawn to him. And then our life comes to him. And as God changes our lives, another person is inspired and drawn to God. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. That's what yielded to the spirit accomplishes. That's how God works in us and through us to accomplish his will. So we want to be that Christian that believes in God, that trusts him, but is also uh, someone who is in turn serving him out of a heart of love, not out of a, an oppressive duty. We're going to get into that in just a moment. So as we look this morning uh, and get into the main part of the outline of the message this morning, I would say, first of all, this, that number one, we have a faithful source. Why would I trust him, Pastor? Why would I, how do I know that I can trust God? How do I, how do I know that these things are going to come around and how God's going to work in and through my life? And I would say, first of all, because our source is faithful. Notice verse number one, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. That the word of the Lord may have free course. Can you imagine what a different place the world would be if every Christian was faithful in the biblical context and yielded to the Spirit of God and under His direction at every turn, that how the word of God would then have free course amongst us? How revival would break out, how the, uh, the things and the problems in our nations would, uh, it would be resolved. People would be coming to Christ and lives would be being transformed by the scores. And listen, Jesus is going to build his church in any climate, in any culture, with any problem. Uh, that's going to happen. But I'm saying I, we need to get faithful and understand faithfulness so we're not a hindrance to the word of God running its free course. I don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel. I want to be an asset to the gospel. I don't want to be a hindrance to the work that God's trying to do in people's lives. Uh, I, I want to be helpful and to accomplish what God's given us to do. So how do I know I can trust a pastor? Realize this morning that your source is faithful. In John uh, chapter 1, he reveals to us uh, and, and clarifies for us that source. By the way, the word here uh, for 
Uh, for the word of the Lord is the word logos, which is the word which means to say, to speak. But it's also the word that's used and translated throughout the New Testament for the word of God. It's the same word that we see in John chapter 1 when he says, In the beginning was the word, Logos. And the word, Logos, was with God. And the word, Logos, was God. And verse 14, and the word, again, Logos, was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's the word of God. The Bible, the scriptures that he has given are Jesus in print. It is a manifestation of the person and the character of God that has been delivered to humanity so that we can know the essence of his nature and understand who he is and his holiness and his purity and how it affects our life. It's so that we can understand that we're sinners and we can also understand that his love compelled him to pay the price to make atonement for that sin so that justice is satisfied and so that uh, that uh, justice Justification is made and atonement is made and God does not compromise his qualities and values of his essence of, of being just and being pure and being righteous and being holy when he makes and allows man to come into heaven. We are entered in because Jesus Christ the righteous gave himself for us and we know that because of the word of God. We know that because he's told us in the scripture and I'm saying to you this morning that we know that we have a faithful source and the identity of the source is available to us and revealed to us in the scripture. Not only do we see the identity of the source, but we see the inspiration of the source. Now when we talk about inspiration, there's uh, again, it's one of those words that, uh, that can mean a lot of different things. I could uh, go and say that, well I have a, when you walk into our house, my uh, uncle that, that drowned when he was 20, when he was 17, he did an India ink drawing uh, of my great-grandfather's house. And I have that painting now. Uh, and I did not realize for many years that it was actually uh, my great-grandfather's house uh, until someone in the family revealed that to me. Uh, and so you could say that he was inspired to draw that, that picture by his relationship with our great-grandfather, his grandfather. And so you could look at great and, uh, and famous paintings and things that, that would say, uh, you know, that this, this famous painter was inspired uh, by such and such. That's not, what we're, that's not the kind of inspiration that we're talking about. Uh, you could look at, uh, at uh, people that are going to uh, start starting school. Colleges are starting back mostly this week. And uh, those that are going and saying, hey, uh, you know, I want to go to law school or I want to go to medical school or I want to go and do this and I want to take this. Generally, people that are pursuing those things in higher education had someone in their life that inspired them to want to follow that career choice. They were inspired. And that inspiration, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good inspiration. It's a great thing. But that's not what we're talking about when we say the Bible is inspired. And understand this morning, there are a lot of people out there in Christendom that would say that the Bible is inspired in such a way. That we have some of what God has for us because it's just, you know, God inspired the, the authors. May I say this morning that there aren't authors. There are writers. There's only one author. And so God authored the Bible, he inspired the Bible, he gave it by the breath of the Holy Spirit, and there are 40 or so writers of the scripture of the 66 books over 1400 or so years. And so what we talk about here when we talk about inspiration and its importance is because all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. 
that the man of God, and that, by the way, includes any person, man or woman, who is saved and knows Christ. Understand here he's addressing Timothy. He's addressing a young pastor. But the application is, is that the word of God is just as valuable to every Christian as it is to every pastor. And it makes the same application to your life as it does to my life. The word of God is good for you for doctrine. It's good for you and it's profitable for you for correction. And it's profitable for instruction and in righteousness that we may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. How do we know to do right? How do we even know what is right except what God has told us in his word? He inspired it. I can trust it. It's faithful. My source is faithful. It's not the USA Today or the New York Times that changes from one writer to the next and from one day to the next and one political whim to the next. It is the unchanging, unfailing word of God. I have the identity of the source. I have the inspiration of the source. And I also have been told in uh, way back in Psalms, whenever before uh, much of it was even completely, completely put to uh, pen to paper, I was told uh, of the integrity of the source. The word of God is trustworthy. Psalm 119, 138 says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. The word of God is faithful. What does that mean, Pastor? That means it's able to persuade. If I'm willing to be persuaded. It tells me who God is and what God is and what God's desires are. It tells me to know that I'm a sinner and that he died for me so that he can make atonement for me. We have a faithful source. Secondly, this morning I would say we have a faithful Savior. We've already looked and talked a little bit about verse number three. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you. We would say in our vernacular today, established you. But it's the same term. It's the same word essentially. Uh, and so that he will establish you. We have a faithful Savior. We see here first that Jesus is faithful to save. He's faithful to save. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He did not die for some. He did not die for only those that trust him. He died for everyone's sin, whether they receive the gift of salvation or not. Their sin's been paid for. No one will be in hell whose sins Jesus didn't pay for. They'll only be there if they refuse to accept the payment. And so we understand that God's not desirous for anyone to be there. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 10, he tells us that if we believe that he's the son of God, and if we believe that we're sinners, and if we believe that God raised him from the dead, that he gave his life for us, that whosoever should call upon the Lord shall be saved. In other words, if I believe that he is who he said he is and he's done what he said he would do and I put my faith and trust in him, then it's not up to me to be good. It's not up to me to go to church. It's not up to me to get baptized. It has nothing to do with salvation. Only thing it has to do with salvation is that I realize I was a sinner. Do I believe that he's God's son? And have I placed my faith and trust in him and received his gift of salvation for me? And if I've done that, I have a faithful Savior. He is faithful to save. I'm telling you this morning that if you feel convicted in your heart, that means that if you feel as if there's a voice or a tug and urging in your heart saying, yes, this is right and this is true and this is God working, then what that is and what you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit of God doing and fulfilling his ministry as given in the, in the Gospel of John where he is compelling you and he is convincing you of the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is, is that we've all sinned, that we all need a savior, that Jesus is that savior. Uh, and he, we come to him realizing that he is faithful to save. But I'm so glad 
that once he saved me, he didn't just throw me out there and say, okay, figure it out or I'll see you when you get here. He said, no, I'll establish you. I will establish you. I will teach you. I will train you. I will, uh, I will be there with you. I will bring you through. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 talks about that, that it is the pleasure of God to, to will and to do that uh, of his good pleasure. Matter of fact, let me get here so I don't butcher it. For, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God does. And that's my point this morning with faithfulness. Is that faithfulness is not simply a decision that one makes to do a task or to fulfill a checklist. Faithfulness is yielding myself to God so that God does it in me. I can no more be faithful on my own than I can be saved on my own. I cannot be effective for Christ. I cannot be the father that I should be. I cannot be the husband that I should be. I cannot be the grandfather that I should be if I am not yielded to the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit of God to live and to work through me. If I do it on my own, even though I go to church and have devotions and pray, I'm not truly faithful because I cannot do it. Only He can do it through me. And His desire is to live through me. His desire is to serve and to do His work through us. Jesus is faithful to establish us. Not only that, we understand this morning that Jesus is faithful to secure us. I no, no more could I do anything to get saved that I could do to, to stay saved. I, I cannot do it. It's not my responsibility. It's His. And I couldn't do it if I tried. And the reality is, is that God moves and God works, that he is faithful to secure the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 said, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to say here this, that he is faithful to secure. That means he is securing my soul. He'll secure my walk, my testimony. Uh, he secures those things. You say, Pastor, uh, but what about the Apostle Paul? It said he, he, he saved him from physical problems. Yeah, but ultimately the Apostle Paul was beheaded for the gospel. Did God fail him? Was God unfaithful to him? No. God was faithful to be with him and to give him grace to endure whatever God needed him to endure for the furtherance of the gospel. See, this short little life that we have of 60 or 80 years, if we're fortunate, is just that. It's just a little blip on the radar of eternity. And it lasts about that long. This life is not about this life. This life is about eternity. This life is about impacting the lives of others. This life is about making a difference in the lives of people. And I can't do that. And you can't do that. Oh, sure, I can knock on their door and I can give them the gospel and I can give them something to read and I can invite them to church and I can preach the sermon and I can compel them and try to uh, convince them of their need for salvation. But the truth is, until they trust the trustworthy one, until they become willing to be persuaded, then they're never going to have anything of value or life-changing take place in their heart. Listen, praying a prayer does not save the soul. 
any more than getting baptized or coming to church does. It's putting our faith and trust in Christ. Jesus is faithful to secure. So we've seen this morning that we have a faithful source in the Word of God. And we see that we have a faithful Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, what we see is that we are called then to faithful service. You are called, I am called, to faithfully serve Him. Notice what he says in verse number 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. If you know 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, you know that they deal largely with the return of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. Part of waiting is not sitting on the front porch with our legs crossed, sipping on a glass of iced tea, uh, waiting the expected arrival of grandpa or our children to come for a visit at a predetermined time. Waiting is ministering and serving with the expectation that the time that we have to make a difference is limited and it's short and we need to use it wisely and we need to allow God to work in us through it. And so we see here, and the Lord directs your hearts into the love of God. God establishing us then directs us. How does he direct us? To what purpose does he direct us? He directs us to faithful service. Listen, I can do a lot of service and not be faithful. I can mow the lawn. I can weed eat. I can fix problems. I can change light bulbs. I can do all kinds of things and serve and not be faithful. We're talking about faithfully serving the Lord. What does that mean biblically? Well, three parts of this. First thing that I want you to consider is that a faithful servant is at his disposal. Notice in Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 13. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 13, the Bible there says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In verse number 19, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness into, unto holiness. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about yielding. So there's a process again where I see him, I, I see that I can trust him, and then that as, as that love draws me and I'm compelled, then the first part of this, then the first step is that I have to become yielded to his will. We were doing some work in the fellowship, I say we, my wife and, uh, the, and Miss Ruby and uh, Sarah were doing some work in the, in the fellowship hall getting ready for school and we had to bring uh, some tables and things down and, and the chairs and, uh, and so uh, Andy and Elizabeth were around that day. Uh, and so Elizabeth came in uh, and, and she was helping and uh, Sonia was looking, okay, are you getting ready to go? Or, and she says, oh no, uh, I think mom went to go get lunch. So for the next hour or so, I'm at your disposal. She was at her disposal. That's what we're talking about here. Being at the Lord's disposal. How many times have you been to camp? How many times have you at the end of a revival meeting? 
come to the altar, confess your sin, and been willing to stand up and either at a camp or uh, at a youth conference or in a church revival service and said, Lord, I'm, I'm at your disposal. I'm available to you. If you've called me, if you'll call me, I'll, I'll, whatever you call me to do, Lord, I'm yielded. That's a good thing. That's a part of the process. The problem is, is that a lot of people say that and a lot of people do that. But if you watch about a week or two after the kids come home from camp or the conference or about a week or two after the revival comes to a close, uh, all of that yieldedness is drifted back to what we were before the meeting happened. We're yielded. Lord, you've touched my heart. You've inspired me. You've drawn me. You've compelled me. I surrender. I'm yielded. I'm at your disposal. Provided that what God asks us to do is something that we're willing to do in the first place. I can't tell you how many times somebody will come in, Alec, and they'll say, Pastor, I just need, I just want to do something to be a blessing. It doesn't matter what it is. Go see Brother Phil. Brother Phil will fix you up with the cart. He can go down to the restrooms and you can unclog the toilet. Oh, I didn't mean that. See, we're yielded until we don't like what we yielded to. We're, we're yielded until it's something other than what we had in mind. And so when we understand this morning that biblically, if I would become faithful, that I must yield, I must place myself at his disposal, but it's not enough. I've not been faithful yet. The second thing that we see here is that a faithful servant then is under his direction. Notice again in verse 5, And the Lord direct your hearts, there's that yieldedness into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ, the doing of what's necessary until the Lord comes. And so, as he is growing us and establishing us, I have to realize uh, that I am someone who must not only yield myself to him, but then I must obey what he tells me to do. So if Elizabeth comes in and tells Miss Sonia, Miss Sonia, uh, I'm, I'm at your disposal. And Miss Sonia says, okay, I, I need you to go down here and get this box and I need you to bring it down to the fellowship hall. And she goes and she does that. Then she has faithfully done and performed the task that Miss Sonia gave her to do. But if she says, oh, well, I don't really want to get that box. And so I'm going to let Andy get that box. And so uh, she redirects Andy to go get the box. She, she's not been faithful. She has not been obedient. I cannot be faithful if I'm yielded, if yielded is not followed by obedience. James chapter 1 and verse 22, James wrote and put it this way, and be not hearers of the word, uh, but be not be doers of the word and not hearers only. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Are we just hearers only? We want to be a people that are doing what God has given us to do. A faithful servant is at his disposal. A faithful servant is under his direction. But I'm telling you this morning, and this really comes down to the, the, the message, is that I can, I can be yielded and I can be obedient and every task can still be unfaithful. Notice again in verse 5. As the Lord and the Lord directs your hearts into the love of God. Motive. Why do I do what I do? Why am I yielded to Him? Why am I serving Him? Why am I obedient to Him? Is it to get the approval of the pastor? Is it to get the approval of a teacher? Is it to get the approval of 
another leader in the church in my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a tinkling brass, as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, for love. See, we love him because he first loved us. We're faithful to him because he was first faithful to us. True faithfulness realizes that God is trustworthy. And when I realize that he's trustworthy, I become trustful. As he persuades with his love, I allow myself to be persuaded by his love. So that my faithful service then is not an act of bowing to a God who could snuff me out in a moment if he chose to. Our God this morning, folks, is not an oppressor. He's a loving father. And a loving father is one who wants his children to obey, not because they fear, but because they want to express the love that he has expressed to them, that he has provided to them. We look at being called to faithful service, we must understand that a faithful servant must place himself at the disposal of the Lord. And we must follow his direction, but we must do it with a pure heart and the right motive. We must do it out of a heart of devotion so that we truly reflect and demonstrate to the world what God has done in our heart and our life. As God's faithfulness inspires a believer to faithfulness, so faithfulness of that believer inspires another to believe. So we close this morning, I would like to say this, and we'll wrap this up. The faithfulness of the source of our faith, the Word, and the faithfulness of our Savior inspires us or should inspire us to love Him. And our love for Him compels our faithful service. Years ago, there was an evangelist and an earnest preacher who was caught and imprisoned in South Spain. People went to that prison, went to that prison to be executed for political reasons. When he got there and he was placed in a cell and placed in the holding area, he realized there were a lot of anarchists there and there were a lot of communists in the prison. And those men were desperate. They knew not God. They knew not anything of faith. They were desperate. They realized that they soon would be shot. And the only thing that they could do is lash out at those that were incarcerating them. And they began to curse at them and to write cursings on the wall against them. And, uh, and they lived in uh, desperate fear of what would face them after they were shot. This evangelist was there for political reasons, not because he had done wrong. But he noticed the attitude in the heart of these men and he wrote these words on the wall of the prison. Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Amen. Under that he wrote out John 3.16 in its fullness, its entirety. There was a young schoolmaster that was also there for political reasons and he was moved by this man's testimony and began to engage in conversation with him as they awaited their fate. And the schoolmaster came and, uh, and, and ultimately trusted Christ because of the testimony of this man as they awaited their fate. Neither of them complained. Neither of them felt that they were been, remarked about being there unfairly, though unfairly they had been treated. They did not deserve what was going to happen to them. 
neither do they deserve the salvation that they found in Jesus Christ. But finding Jesus, he did. One day he came up and he said, my name's on the list today to be shot. Talking to the preacher. He said, I'm so glad that you wrote that text on the wall. Before, I should have been desperate. But now, although I don't want to die, I know that I'm going to be with Jesus. And then I'll see you again someday. Faithfulness in every circumstance. Driven, compelled, and lived in the love of Christ impacts and inspires the lives of others. Oppressive church regimes condemn people to hell and drive people from serving, from true service. Listen, I've been in churches all my life where there were a lot of people that were standing in line to do the next task because they either feared the pastor or they wanted recognition and approval from the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or some other leader in their life. We don't need that. Victory Baptist Church doesn't need that. The city of Baytown doesn't need that. The state of Texas doesn't need that. The United States of America doesn't need that. The world doesn't need that kind of Christianity. What we need is a people that realize that God loves me. And because God loves me and has revealed himself to me, I can trust him. And because I trust him, I'm going to yield myself to him fully. And I'm going to obey him. Not because he'll thump me on the back of the head if I don't. But because I want to express the love to him that he's expressed to me. And when you read your Bible and pray, loving the Lord with a heart that's open to persuasion. When you worship in a service like this with a heart open to persuasion, expressing love to Christ. When we love our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents, our grandchildren, our grandparents, because it's an expression of the love that we have for Jesus and we don't want to express that back, then my friends, in the biblical understanding of the word, we have become faithful. Are you faithful this morning? Whether you are or are not, whether I am or are not, he is.